the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now and in this red pill cafeteria. Is this the real life? Is it just fantasy? Nobody better to find out than Eduardo Cano, as he materialized at the virtual Alexandria to discuss his latest work. The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion. From Pythagoras to today's cutting-edge science, some not good like MKUltra, he deciphered the mystery of consciousness and how to leverage it to break down the matrix. Get ready to expand your consciousness while we cover many great topics dealing with our simulation. The Gnostics, Rupert Sheldrake, Tesla, esoteric Hinduism, quantum physics, and much more. So please support if you find value in this content, and I truly appreciate those of you who keep the lights of the Pleroma on. It's not hard to support. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. It really helps, and I can use all the help, as we all do. Let me announce, too, that we are now open to vendors and sponsors for Astronosis 2, Meet the Archons. Unlock your potential to reach a dedicated and passionate audience with your product, service, book, or art. We tailor the best solution to engage with attendees in person or promote your brand through a podcast with tens of thousands of listeners. Additionally, talk to us if you want a custom tier for greater impact. And get thy tickets as we deal with our favorite villains on June 23rd and 24th at the Theosophical Society in Wheaton, Illinois. You're going to get exclusive once-in-a-lifetime content from April DeConnick, Chris Knowles, Richard Smoley, Sarah Elkaldi, James True, Recluse, Mitch Horowitz, and more. And the chance for all of us to hang out and exchange Gnosis is invaluable. Check it out in the show notes. 
Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. It's real, you're not real. You're trapped in here, you are. Trapped in what? You said it yourself. We will never know whether the stimuli in our brains are caused by reality or just by the constructive one. Constructive one? This isn't real. This is a simulation. Plato's cave allegory. You're watching shadows on the wall. And you think that they're the reality. If you could look over your shoulder, you would see what's causing those shadows. It's actually real. You forgot. You forgot what's real. But you have to remember. You have to wake up. Or there will be nothing left to wake up for. And your consciousness will be trapped in here forever. Welcome, everybody. And yes, by the intro, I have nipples, too. I don't know if you can milk me, Greg, but this is a world where men still have nipples and women still cannot show them on the Internet. But what do you expect? This is a Philip K. Dick world. These are Gnostic times, and this is the age of Hermes, so everything's a bit backward. But we fix this here at Aeon Byte. So welcome everybody to AB Live on this Saturn day. Very excited about this show because this is pure red meat or mana from heaven when it comes to the topics of Gnosticism and other high weirdness. So it's always a pleasure to have esoteric Eddie himself, Eduardo Cano, this time to discuss his book, Crystal Lattice, Mind, Illusion, Consciousness, and Exiting the Matrix. Eddie, thank you very much for coming on the show. Always awesome to have you. What's up? What's up? Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Good, good. How you been? Pretty good, man. It's been, uh, what, almost like a year since I was on here last, um, something like that. But uh, no, it's been good. It's good. Just finished this book. Took me. I took the past five months to, to write it. It all kind of came very sudden. I didn't really have plans to write this book. It just kind of all happened in an instant. I saw it all in a flash and decided, you know what, this is the next book that I'm going to have to write. Yeah, it was. it's ambitious, but man, you killed it. This was everything I could have hoped for and even more. A complete journey. And even when I put up the show, you know, somebody wrote on Facebook, is there solutions? And I'm like, yes, they're actually, it's not just, we live in a simulation MKL, you know, it's okay. Here's the plan, how we can get out and break down the matrix. So yeah, great work. And uh, yeah, you've done a book on Lucifer, a, a book on the Anunnaki. This might be different, but like you said, sometimes uh, the book chooses you. Like I tell people I'm writing a biography of Elvis Presley all my life. That's the last thing I thought I would ever do with my life. It just happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. Books, yeah. And even Jung said, uh, we don't have ideas, ideas have us. And when it, for these, it just came to you, or do you, would you uh, 
say that maybe your spiritual practice and research has left you or your channels more open where you can hear like you know higher higher forces saying dude you need to do this don't screw around with that <laughs> yeah well i've always been uh, a spiritually tapped in person and so i've always had like these 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 moments of uh revelation throughout my life but i just finished writing the anunnaki theorem last year published that and i'm pretty sure i did a show with you about it yeah. and so i was kind of in this this time period where i was deciding what i was going to do next and actually the book that i was planning on writing was going to be a book about werner von braun and his prophecies and wow. the fake alien invasion and stuff like that that's kind of that's where i was going to go but one day i was at work I'm a plumber and I was underneath a sink just fixing this sink. And I don't know, out of, out of nowhere, I just had this flash. I just saw, the first thing I saw was the title, The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion. I saw the mm. title and I just saw colors of light purple and pink. And um, and then it just, it, like, I just downloaded it all. I just knew exactly what the book was going to be about and everything. And so I just had to get to work and create it. Well, we're, we're glad that happened. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance, the high priest of the porcelain gods. Vance, how are you? Oh, yeah, the porcelain gods. I'm fine trying to figure out what's real and what's not real today. So we will we will see. We will see. Yeah, it's all the, the first two lines of Bohemian Rhapsody. I've come to realize that's how it starts. Oh, yeah. I was wondering also, is Crystal Blue Persuasion have anything to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that I know of. Remember that? <laughs> the Shondells no. or whoever it was. Awesome. Well, everybody's going into the chat room. Already a good crowd. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Somebody said, Salam Aleikum. I said, Salam Aleikum. And I hope I didn't butcher that. I hope I'm doing the greeting right. And if you have any super questions, please super chat them and we will definitely get to them. But Eddie has an, an amazing uh, presentation. I've got some housekeeping things to mention but we'll do that later um other than that i wanted to share uh as uh not that i want to make it about me but i do but last week was no this week last whatever last week was my birthday and uh one of the listeners sean raiden gave me this really cool gift and me think well this is a stone he got it in the middle east while he was visiting the qumran caves the dead sea scrolls and he picked up this rock he saw these three signs and uh, he gave me this. I'm very excited. I have a rock from the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, of course, I've, I've been rubbing it and know if Freddie or Jeannie have come out. So that's good. So, and it has three lines. We think, well, this might have been some scribe, but it also might have been Bishop Pike running over it with his tires or something. <laughs> Maybe it was had. an eraser, you know, <laughs> that describes you. So <laughs> they made a mistake. <laughs> You never know. There's always a story, but we romanticize and mythologize these things, and that's what gives us meaning and gives us magic. So, yeah. so very cool. All right. Well, Eddie, do you want to get started, or do you want to start with anything else? A preface. You let us know, man. You're you're the demiurge now. Absolutely. Yeah. Just fixing my lighting real quick. Um, yeah. So again, we're going to be going over my new book, uh, The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion, and it's already out on Amazon or you can find it on my website at esotericeddy.com. And you can also find the free documentary version on my YouTube at Esoteric Eddie TV. But yeah, I got a full on presentation, um, a lot of information. So we're going to be going through a lot of dense stuff. So I'll try my best to explain everything with the time that we have. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to rock if you guys are. Yeah, no, you take your time. You take us on this journey as you see fit, man. It's a really good 
book and it takes it covers so much it's spanning it's uh yeah it's an odyssey so let's see uh what happened to your presentation <laughs> whoa <laughs> it's like the matrix is like setting itself or something cool so can you guys see it now yeah we can see yeah it. all right let me just do a quick test here slideshow play from start all right yep it looks good That's yeah it. we see it now Cool, cool. All right. Um, all right, let's get into it. Uh, and Miguel or, or uh, Vance, just let me know if you want me to close the screen for whatever reason. Um, no, good, man. Sure. Okay, cool. Let's get into it. So the crystal lattice mind illusion, we're going to be diving into consciousness, the subconscious archetypes, the matrix, and, and you know, the suppression of consciousness and how we can break out of this program. So I start the book off and the presentation with a quote from Carl Jung. And the quote is, as I read here verbatim, the word archetype is thoroughly characteristic of the structural forms that underlie consciousness as the crystal lattice underlies the crystallization process. So in other words, what Carl Jung was saying was um, just like our physical world is actually comprised of smaller structures at the at the microcosm level. Um, our entire reality, our mind, our consciousness is also comprised of smaller parts, codes, if you will. And that's an, that's important to understand as we go through this presentation. And this quote pretty much sums up the entire book, if you understand it, with, with everything else that comes with it. So let's break apart the mind illusion part first and uh, of the crystal lattice mind illusion so <clears throat> we have uh, two major parts of ourselves, right? The mind and body connection. Um, actually, real quick, I'm going to just pause. I'm going to see if I can uh, share the screen while we can see us as well. Yeah, the audience can see us. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's how, yeah, that's how it was. Yeah. You may not have, but yeah, yeah, they could see our faces on the left. Interesting. So now you okay. gotta just add it again, or let me know, and I can change the format. I can make it just the screen. I can make it. Oh, okay, because on on my end, I can just see the presentation. But as long yeah. as you guys can see everybody else, I'm cool with that. Oh, yeah, we're cool. We see our faces on the left, so all good, man. Cool, cool. All right, so going back to this, so we have two major parts of ourselves, right? We have the body and the mind, but even those two major parts have um, smaller components, you know. Most people walk around thinking that they're just one unit. They're just a body. I'm Eddie. I'm, I'm just a person, whatever. But the truth is, um, even that is false because the body is made up of billions of parts. If you want to count all the cells and if you don't even want to count the cells, we're still made up of all these different moving parts and organs and whatnot. So even the body alone is made up of a whole different lattices and, and structures. And the mind itself, as we see through this presentation, um, is also has different facets to it. The mind isn't just one unit as well. And so with the mind and body connection, we have what is called central reality or what I call central reality. And central reality is malleable. It can change. Central reality is controlled by basically the global institutions that govern our world. So the, the mainstream narrative that we are told, that we are dictated by um, the global institutions is what central reality is. And that can change and it has changed. But whoever controls that basically controls the world. 
because we we live in reality tunnels. So whatever narrative we're told and that and whatever that is, the mass is going to ultimately believe, and that's what ultimately what our reality is going to be based off of. And with the central reality, which we interface through our consciousness, we have the uh, collective sub-psyche, as I call it, or the collective subconscious or collective unconscious, as Jung would call it. And with the collective sub-psyche, we all interface through our um, subconscious, just as we all have an individual conscious and an, ind and an individual subconscious, we also have a collective conscious and a collective subconscious. And in the collective subconscious is where really weird things can happen, you know, because in the collective subconscious is where uh, all these nightmares and dreams and fantasies and fetishes reside that I believe can actually um, gain a self-awareness, you know, a, a sort of uh, etherical AI, if you will, an egregore. And uh, Young believed this as well. And an example of this would be the miracle of Fatima. So uh, this was an event that took place in Portugal back in the early 1900s. And what happened is three young kids in Portugal claimed to have been visited by the Virgin Mary. And for three days, she prophesied to them. And I believe uh, one of the last prophecies is still yet to be fulfilled. And after those three days of these kids uh, having been visited by the Virgin Mary um, in 1917, 70,000 people in Portugal witnessed what they said was the sun dancing around in the sky and zigzagging back and forth like to earth and back up into the sky. You know, so to me and to Young, this would be an example of the collective sub psyche breaking through into the collective conscious, the central reality. And uh, this is possible uh, in a group setting and this is possible in an individual setting. And UFOs could be another example of this. You know, Young has a book that I love. It's titled uh, Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Skies. And he breaks down UFOs and what they might be from a psychoanalytical standpoint. And he believed that um, the modern uh, occurrence of UFOs all began with uh, the stresses of the world wars, World War One and Two, And during these times, <clears throat> during, excuse me, during these times, as the world was in war and an apocalypse, there was a lot of subconscious struggle. You know, the world was seeing things they'd never seen before at that time. You know, so everybody was basically anticipating the end of the world, anticipating some Messiah to be seen in the skies. And so this collective sub-psyche distress was so powerful that it had to break through and project itself into the conscious world um, to be uh, to come through, to, to send a message and, and tell us, you know, that there's something going on in our deeper program that needs attention. And Young believed that 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 uh, distress is what caused these UFOs to emanate and project forward. In other words, they were sort of hallucinations. And he also breaks down that the reason we saw them in the way that we did being circular shapes is because the circle has played an integral part in our subconscious right. for th thousands of years, if not hundreds of thousands of years. The circle has always represented something divine. And he uses the mandala as an example of that. A mandala being um, an ancient circular sacred geometric symbol that represents you know, protection and divinity. And so the circle has always represented the unfathomable, the, the, you know, the divinity that has no beginning and no end. So again, Young believed that the UFOs that we were seeing from you know, the World War I and II and onward were basically 
projected from the collective sub psyche because of the amount of distress worldwide that we were all experiencing experiencing at once. And that doesn't mean they're not real. Um, it can mean that we are maybe calling them in from some other dimension be- through yeah. our sub psyche, or it can mean that, you know, they started off as, as thoughts and egregores, but have now gained self-awareness and um, are, are being empowered through the energy that we feed them. You know, it's a whole nother topic, but the point being is, is that the collective sub psyche has enough power to project things into our conscious world. I don't want to even not think about the cigars, <laughs> the cigar oh. UFOs. <laughs> yeah, he's got a whole section of it in in the book where he talks about um, the cigars being uh, influenced from you know the phallic idea. Yeah, phallic I figured. <laughs> yeah, the, the collective. Yeah, or the collective Lewinsky. Maybe call it that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, so um, and archetypes, right? So. Archetypes are, are uh, a part of that quote that I read in the beginning. And, and to, to Jung, archetypes were kind of like codes in a sense. And he believed that when we were born, when we, whenever we're born or conceived, um, that we get a download of reality. And in that download of reality is the program of this reality. And in that program comes equipped the archetypes. You know, not just the major arcana, but also just the, the regular archetypes of, of what a tree is, what a bird is, what the ocean is. And as we see in this quote here on the screen from Jung, um, he believed, as, as I say here, the form of the world into which a person is born is already inborn in him as a virtual image. So in other words, as he was saying in that quote in the beginning, um, archetypes or all these physical objects that are around us are just downloaded programs, you know, for us to experience. And this is again, important to keep in mind as we go through this. And so to young, anything was an archetype, you know, a tree, us even, and, and they were just codes embedded into the reality program. Um, but of course we have the major archetypes like a UFO, again, a UFO is a major archetype. And um, as we go through distresses or, or certain existential crises, certain archetypes show up in our life. You know, in, in ancient times, the archetype could have been, again, like Virgin, the Virgin Mary or Jesus or an angel or something. As the subconscious goes through distress, um, it, it can project an archetype. And um, that, that's the reason being is because the subconscious is very powerful and the subconscious is where the program resides. And uh, Jung spoke about this again, saying that the subconscious is so powerful that, um, as I say in this quote, modern man still does not realize that he is entirely dependent on the cooperation of the unconscious, which can actually cut short the very next sentence he proposes to speak. He is unaware that he is continuously sustained by something while all the time he regards himself exclusively as the doer. So again, we have two parts of the mind, two, two major parts of the mind, the, the conscious and the unconscious, or the, the conscious and the subconscious. And in the subconscious is where the program resides. It's where the archetypes reside. It's, it's where the uh, reality tunnels are formulated first. And the subconscious is what I call the, hi- <clears throat> the higher self. I think it is the self that is most connected to God. And I think that because the subconscious, as Jung just said in the previous quote, is the most liberated and free part of us. Our conscious mind um, depends on the subconscious and the the conscious program is dependent on the subconscious program. Um, Or in other words, the the conscious reality is dependent on the subconscious program. 
and archetypes um, to me in my definition are projected into our reality when the human mind is triggered by cultural parameters equating to a figure or phenomenon example darkness is scary scary is evil and the devil is the evilest being therefore the devil is seen in the dark this is a, an example of the sequence of how reality tunnels are formed again by archetypes by codes by narratives that we're that we are indoctrinated into and again the the program of our reality starts in the subconscious and we know this um, because in simple uh, in a simple example it's difficult for us to change our habits you know, if it was easy for us to, to, to eat better or work out more or do whatever yeah. it is that we want to do or stop doing what it is that we want to do, we would just do it. We would all be living our highest self. Mm -hmm. But it's not that easy. And it's not that easy because the program resides in the subconscious. So in order to change our lives, we need to go to the deepest parts of ourselves, the subconscious, the higher self and rewire and change the program. And uh, with that, you know, we are a spiritual machine. You know, we have the mind and the body. And again, even both of those major parts have smaller parts. And together we are a spiritual machine and we should be operating harmoniously so that we can ascend into uh, higher forms and have more capabilities in this life, as I'll explain later on. The brain is simply the VR headset that we use to toggle into this reality. What we actually are is consciousness. You know, the brain is one part of us here, but it's more so the tool, the machine that we use to toggle here in this program. Yeah, well said. All right. So that was the mind illusion part of it. Now, the 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 crystal lattice part of it, right? Or actually, before I go on, the mind illusion part of it, again, is, is the fact that um, we're not just a body. You know, and we're not even just a mind right now. You know, that's what we are ultimately. But right now we're, we're the body and the mind. And uh, the illusion part of it is that most of us just believe that we're just one unit. With, and again, that, that is not even true. You know, the body is made up of hundreds of units at the very least. All right. So the crystal lattice part of it. Now, <clears throat> a lattice, in short, is basically um, the, the smallest structure in a physical object. You know, whether it be an atom or um, well, it's the smallest structure made up of atoms. So, uh, for example, in a crystal, the, the lattice would be like a cube made up of, for example, four different atoms or four different particles. So right. that's what a lattice is. The lattice is the smallest unit structure in a physical object. And so that could look like a cube. It could look like a, a triangle, whatever. But then the lattice structure is 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 uh, the fractalization of that smallest unit. So when you take that smallest unit and then multiply it and fractalize it, then it grows into what its final form is going to be, whether it's the physical crystal you hold in your hand or whether it's a human cell growing and fractalizing outward into a human body. So that's what a lattice is. And our entire reality, our entire physical world runs off of lattices. It runs off of smaller units that fractalize outward into bigger macrocosmic um, forms. And these lattices are codes and they're runoff codes, they're runoff equations. And we, that's, that's again, that's again uh, apparent in the fractalized nature that we see around us. And in these fractalized um, equations around us is embedded, uh, math is embedded in it. 
you know, math is, is basically the, the language of the universe. And so all around us are equations, numbers, and geometries. And these equations, numbers, and geometries are the codes, the lattices that our reality program runs off of. And this is apparent um, in the Fibonacci sequence. And again, the, the, the Fibonacci sequence was uh, produced by uh, Leonardo Fibonacci in his book, Liber Abacus. And in that book, he pretty much just poses this uh, pretty cool uh, math equation. And from that math equation, um, we got the Fibonacci sequence, which is basically a set of numbers, which are uh, the summation of the, the previous two numbers. And out of that equation, we realized something interesting. That sequence of numbers, I think it starts off like 0, 0, 1, 3, 5, and then onward. That sequence is actually in nature. We, we see it in nature around us. And when we take that sequence and, in, and input it into a program, a growth program, we get uh, these beautiful fractalized patterns that we see all around us in flower petals, in conch shells, in hurricanes, in universal spirals, right. and even the human fetus. The human fetus starts off as a little spiral, you know, so the Fibonacci sequence was kind of a miraculous find. We realized that nature runs off of a similar code that produces these fractalized patterns. And uh, that's also apparent in the golden ratio. The golden ratio, 1.618, um, is the ratio that the Fibonacci numbers harmonize to. And so the golden ratio can also be used to create very symmetrical and beautiful patterns. And we found that whoever designed us was using the golden ratio, you know, in, in our in our limbs, in our body, our body follows a very strict uh, ratio and, and sequence and code. And so again, the, these codes, these equations are seen all around us in nature. Nature looks chaotic. It looks as if it's flowing and as if it's right. random, um, but that's the beautiful illusion of it. When you actually look at it, examine it, you find that all of nature is running off of lattices, equations, and codes, very specifically set. And another example of that um, would be uh, the birthing process. You know, it takes approximately, give or take, nine months for a human to be born. You know, and we start off with, as a little circular egg, and that little circular egg splits off and becomes eventually what we are. And so, again, that's just another example how in nature there are strict equations, strict set codes. The fact that it takes exactly nine months, give or take, for us to be born should tell you that, you know, we were designed this way. Something designed the code to run this way. And uh, with that, you know, um, we have DNA, right? DNA and cells, which would be the smallest unit structures of what a human is. And for hundreds of years, scientists believe that DNA is, is, was, the, uh, was what caused cells to form. Um, but we now know, or we are now at least challenging that and saying that, you know, maybe uh, it's not that way. You know, and one of the people who, who challenged that was Rupert Sheldrake. So Rupert Sheldrake basically just realized um, that DNA comes equipped in the cell. You know, so he realized that DNA is already equipped in the cell. So how can DNA be making the cell if it comes a part of the package? Right. So DNA simply uh, activates or deactivates certain traits that the cell will carry on. But DNA is not the actual um, originator or creator of, of cells. And so Rupert Sheldrake came up with his own theory of morphogenetic fields. 
And he believed that there was an invisible field that was actually resonating cells into existence. And um, this isn't far-fetched. You know, there are fields around us that we accept exist that we can't see. For example, the electromagnetic field. We know it's there, but we can't see it. And the same thing with Wi-Fi and all kinds of other things that we know exist, but we can't see. So he believed there was a field, the morphogenetic field, that was actually responsible for life buzzing and resonating into existence. And he uh, likened that to cymatics, right? Cymatics is the science of putting water or sand on a sound plate and hitting it with certain frequencies. And as it gets hit with certain frequencies, the water or the sand forms into a beautiful geometric pattern. And every frequency causes it to shape into a different form. So he believed that the morphogenetic fields of resonance um, could beam or buzz in different types of life forms, different types of cells through its, its various resonating fields. And that's going to be important to keep in mind as we go through this. So, you know, again, so we have the physical world. But as we start to examine it at the quantum level, it gets less and less physical. And it appears as if the whole entire physical world around us is is uh, buzzing in from a seemingly nothingness. You know, everything is coming out of nothing. But that nothingness, as we'll see, is actually the infinity, the higher dimension. And so <clears throat> with with uh, the DNA and cells and, and the biological life, we have the four fundamental forces of nature, um, as mainstream science puts it forth. Uh, the four fundamental forces of nature are the electromagnetic force, responsible for, responsible for those two, of course. And then we have the strong nuclear force. The strong nuclear force is what holds things together. It's what holds atoms and particles together. And then we have the weak nuclear force, um, which basically allows for decay or for particles to transition, which gives us emissions or exhaust, change. And we have gravity, which is still uh, theoretic, uh, through theoretical. Um, we haven't been able to detect gravity, the way a gravity wave, we've only been able to detect its effects. But nonetheless, we have gravity. And gravity is just not, not just about, you know, things being heavier than others. Gravity is what causes uh, everything to move. Gravity sets the clockwork of our universe in motion, which is important because with the motion of the celestial objects, whether we're on a flat earth or not, whether you believe that or not, you know, the celestial objects are still moving. And, and because they move, we have seasons. And because we have seasons, um, we have uh, circadian rhythms in our bodies and circadian rhythms, um, they influence our sleeping patterns, which influence our waking and sleeping consciousness. So gravity is responsible for the clockwork of nature. Mm -hmm. And with those four forces, we have the hypothetical fifth force that scientists have been looking for for uh, close to 200 years. They believe that there's a fifth force that unites them all, that stretches in between all of them, that could be used as an internet or uh, a fuel source if we were able to find it. And some scientists believe they have found it over the years. An example of that would be the X-17 particle that was found recently, I think a year or two ago, by a uh, particle accelerating um, laboratory in Hungary known as Atomkai. And they believe that this X-17 particle, which was uh, invisible to us before they had found it, is responsible for dark matter and maybe the fifth force and stuff like oh, wow. that. And um, 
that's also what the guys and, and gals at CERN have been trying to do as well, is trying to find that underlying fifth force, that underlying force that unifies all things throughout the universe. Um, and as we'll, as we'll go through this presentation, we'll start to realize that that fifth force might actually be consciousness. Now, Carl Pribram, um, who was a brain scientist, a neuroscientist with over 200 publications and, and several books on uh, the anatomy of the body, the brain and the mind, started off thinking that the mind was produced by the brain. But later on, towards the end of his career, realized that the mind was uh, antecedent or, or was precedent to, to, the, to the brain. In other words, the mind was separate from the brain. Mm -hmm. And he, he realized that and also wrote it into his theory known as uh, the holonomic brain theory. And basically, he realized after studying holograms and how they work, that our brain and mind work in a similar way that holograms do. And um, holograms basically work through a set of mirrors, lasers and photosensitive plates. And when the photosensitive plate is hit with a laser, the hologram is projected. And so he believed that our reality worked in the same way. And in the analogy, basically, our brain is the photosensitive plate holding all the information, and our mind is the laser. And when our mind hits the brain or when our consciousness gets input into the brain from wherever it comes from, then our reality is projected. That's how this is kind of working. That's what he concluded. So um, that, that's pretty much the crystal lattice mind illusion before we get into some of the deeper aspects of it. And the definition that I have for it in my book is that it is the concept that reality is comprised of the physical and non-physical working in conjunction to construct our universe. The crystal lattice part of it is the fact that both the physical and non-physical operate from code system. The mind illusion aspect has to do with the conflict of neglecting to realize that we are more than just the physical. That is the crystal lattice mind illusion. Now, let's dig into ancient cosmologies for a bit. You know, what did the ancestors think about the universe and, and how we were created? So the Enuma Elish coming from the Sumerians tells us that in the beginning, um, Apsu and Tiamat created the elemental gods um, through having their waters mingle. So we're told that their waters mingled, which is important to keep in mind. And we're also told that at that time, nothing had been named yet, which is also important to keep in mind. In the Egyptian text, we're told that in the beginning, there was a watery darkness and that the first self-created being, Atum, created the elemental gods in the physical world by speaking with the noon, who was uh, the watery darkness. And in the Rig Veda, uh, the Hindu uh, cosmology, we are told that uh, in the beginning there was a cosmic water. And through the cosmic water sprang forth the eternal one, the original consciousness. And also in Hinduism, um, we're also told that uh, the Om is the vibration that sustains all physical universe. And in the Torah, all three of these are reflected when, when we're told that God, the Ruach, whatever that may be, um, was floating above the waters. So again, we see these waters in the beginning. And we're also told that God, that God um, 
bring forth physical life through word. Again, as he said, let there be light. So in all of those, we have three key similarities. We have a watery darkness, a self-created um, consciousness, you know, a God, and we have um, life being spoken into existence. And all three of those are what I call the cosmic ether, you know, that watery darkness, um, who was the mother, the, the mother of all ethers, the mother of all waves. And um, we have the creator consciousness, you know, God, if you will, uh, who created uh, all the other consciousnesses that exist in the world or in the universe. And we have the what I call the own vibration, the creator consciousness with the cosmic ether created physical world, the physical world, the material world through vibration, through speaking, as we're told by the ancestors. And this is uh, corroborated in quantum physics. Quantum physics tells us that everything is made up of vibrating particles. So our physical world, the entire physicality of our universe is sustained by vibrations. And words are nothing more than vibrations. They're frequencies. And when our creator created us and everything, it had the power of manifestation at will. It could take imagination and word, which is frequency, mm -hmm. and create at will. And we have a microcosmic version of that. We all have an imagination. We all have word. And we can bring our imaginations into fruition, into existence, not at will like our God can, like the creator can, but we still have a microcosmic version of that. And so altogether, those three components um, were what I call the ancient matrix, the first three components that were the building blocks for everything else that came afterward. And um, with that, Plato um, was, I guess, one of the first to realize that we are living in a simulation. He believed that everything around us were, were emanations, projections from some source, reality. He believed that this reality was a facsimile reality, a false reality, a shadow reality, and that everything, including us, um, is being projected from what he called the essence, you know, some um, mainframe, some source, some infinity. And uh, this is also apparent or, or, or reflected in his uh, cave analogy or his cave allegory, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so consciousness right so now we're starting to realize that you know we're not just the body you know that there there is some something more to consciousness and uh, ac bhaktivedanta who was a prolific swami and, and uh writer um wrote about consciousness and and reincarnation in his book coming back to life and in that book he tells us that there are different kingdoms of consciousness there are differing levels of consciousness there is the plant kingdom there was the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. And he believed that the human consciousness was the highest form of consciousness as of now, and that it was a, you know, a part of those kingdoms, and that it is our responsibility because of that to take the consciousness that we have and curate it and elevate it to an even higher form. You know, we have a privilege and a responsibility in, in the human consciousness that we, that we have. And as we see in the quote on the screen here, he believed that it was our right and our responsibility to do so. And so consciousness has differing levels to it in itself, you know, and not to say that animals or, 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 or insects 
aren't uh, conscious. I think they are, but I think they just have a different level of it. And some of them are actually starting to exhibit higher levels of consciousness. You know, some of them are evolving as well. And I think it was our creator's plan to ultimately have us um, be upgraded. I think it was always in the creator's plan for us to slowly be upgraded to the point where we would be able to receive in full who we are and what it is. And with the differing levels of consciousness, we have the lower forms, which I call static thinking and, and autonomic thinking. And we experience this in our day to day life. You know, when you're zoned out, that's mm -hmm. you operating from autonomic thinking, from static thinking. And um, our ancestors, our, our hominid ancestors, I believe, weren't always conscious in the way that we are. And anthropologists would agree with this as well. And again, I think that's because our creator had it in its plan for us to slowly evolve to the point, you know, and not really evolve, but upgrade more so. Um, because as we see through studying evolution, um, consciousness was a, an enigma. You know, it wasn't created because of evolution. You know, the body went through evolution, but the mind was almost like just input randomly into us, it seems. Um, and some pieces of evidence of that would be the fact that our modern skeletal system, um, that of the Homo sapiens sapiens, which is what we are now, is only about 100,000 years old. So the human being that we are today, the Homo sapiens sapiens, as they call us, is only about 100,000 years old. Prior to that, you know, we are a whole different creature. But the consciousness that we have uh, today that we're familiar with is only about 50,000 years old, according to anthropologists. And so somewhere something happened that caused us to think in this abstract and self-aware way that we have. And most anthropologists would say that was due to language. They believe that language and metaphorical language is what caused our consciousness to shift into the way that it is now. And uh, Terrence McKenna would agree with that in his stoned ape theory. Right. <laughs> which states that uh, our ancestors were eating psychedelic mushrooms and through that they uh, created languages and, and metaphors and abstract thinking. So both him and, and the anthropologists agree on that point. But nonetheless, something happened that, that interjected um, the consciousness into the homo sapien body and, and made us become self-aware. You know, we were churned on um, by something or someone. And, uh, Alfred Wallace, who was the co-founder of the uh, theory of natural selection and who also was a colleague and friend of, of Charles Darwin, who helped him come up with the theory of Darwinism, um, later renounced his beliefs in the theory of evolution and believed that the theory of evolution could not account for how abstract and unique the human mind is. And he wrote about this in a lot of letters that we have available to us today. And one of those letters, he said, as I quote, I know that non-human intelligences exist, that there are minds disconnected from a physical brain, that there is therefore a spiritual world. This is not for me a belief merely, but knowledge founded on the long continued observation of facts, um, so on and so forth. So um, he was an interesting guy. He was actually attending a lot of seance parties towards the end of the 1800s. Oh, wow. What, yeah, which were very popular at that time. You know, a lot of people like to get together and try to summon spirits and play the Ouija board and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was attending a lot of these and he witnessed, um, as he writes in some of his letters, you know, 
tables levitating, spirits emanating forth from nowhere, um, people mediating spirits and talking in tongues and stuff like that. So because of these experiences, he concluded that the mind was way more powerful than scientists um, thought. You know, it was way more powerful and it was coming from a whole different dimension. And the brain and evolution was not producing the mind. It was probably the other way around. And uh, in this quote on the screen, he basically says, um, he, was, he was basically disproving, well, not disproving, but uh, uh, rejecting the idea that the brain produces the mind. Because to him, he, as he says in this quote on the screen, if one molecule can't produce consciousness, then what difference does it make if you add 10,000 more molecules to that one molecule? It's not going to produce consciousness. So in other words, the brain is just a tool that is used by consciousness. It's not producing consciousness. And so with that, we have the mainstream theories of consciousness. And in my research, I found that there are four major theories out there right now. And um, I'm not going to go into major detail as to what they are, but you can see on the screen, these are the names of the four mainstream theories. And all of them, as I write in my book, pretty much say the same thing. They say that, the, that we are all robots, um, mm -hmm. that the brain takes a multitude of senses that it is um, processing simultaneously and collects them. And that collection of simultaneous stimuli is then projected as the illusion of consciousness, the illusion of a 360 experience. That's what they believe. But um, we all know that's not true. We know that's inherently not true because we have a unique self mm -hmm. that we experience. And these mainstream theories of consciousness, they only explain how autonomic thinking works, how static thinking works, the thinking of a bug. You know, they don't explain why or how we have such an abstract, individual, unique self. And um, with that, we have all kinds of new theories about our, our reality and our mind that have been coming out. And one of those is the triadic dimensional vortical paradigm theory that was uh, put together by Vernon Knepp, who's actually the leading scientist on Deja Vu, and Ed Close. And they came and they presented this in 2011, and they'd been working on it for at least a decade, probably more. And what they realized was that the Einsteinian model of our, our physical world was no longer relevant. It could not explain all of the phenomena in our, in our universe, in our reality, specifically stuff that was happening at the quantum level. And they came up with at least 49 conundrums that could, that could not be explained by the Einsteinian model anymore. And one of those was the, uh, is the Khabibo angle. And um, I'm not a scientist, so I had to read a lot of <laughs> you know, thick yeah. papers and, and all kinds of things to, to barely begin to wrap my head around what these guys were saying. And the Khabibo angle is one of the conundrums that I could you know, fairly understand. And basically the Khabibo, the Khabibo angle or anomaly is, is uh, this um, phenomena of, of particles phasing in and out of existence. So particles, again, they vibrate, but they also phase in and out of existence. So how could that be? You know, how could we be here, but the very most fundamental lattice of us be phasing in and out of existence? And so they went back to the drawing board and they, they, they scrapped all the known theories and rewrote them all so that they could make sense with what we know now. And they concluded that we live in nine dimensions. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, that we live in nine dimensions, but uh, those nine dimensions are encased in an infinite dimension. And they also concluded that all of those dimensions are interconnected to the infinite dimension by what they called the Gimel. I don't know why they called it that, but they called it the Gimel. <laughs> the <laughs> Gimel. Them, no. <laughs> that's a Hebrew yeah. uh, letter. What's that? In- gimel is a Hebrew letter. So maybe oh, uh, is, it? Is, it, is it nine? Is that what it is? I Probably. I don't know. Maybe it stands for nine or something. I'll look it up. Yeah. But um, they realized that the Gimel, that interconnected uh, force. Third, third level of the Hebrew al- alphabet. Mm. Um, but the Gimel, they realized, is is consciousness. They concluded that consciousness is what interconnects all the dimensions to the infinite dimension. And so consciousness has been deemed as the hard problem by uh, physicists and quantum physicists. And this term was was created by the now famous philosopher David Chalmers. And he stated this in a famous uh, speech at a uh, conference of consciousness in uh, Tucson, Arizona, back in 1994, uh, the year that I was born, actually, strange enough. Mm-hmm. But he, he stated that, you know, um, basically what he said is that the, it's, the easy thing uh, or explaining how the brain reacts to stimuli is easy. You know, that's easy. But the hard problem is explaining why the brain would need no. Uh, consciousness, why the brain would need a self-abstract identity. The hard problem is explaining why evolution or the brain would need consciousness. And so uh, that's, he was basically stating that, you know, uh, the brain doesn't produce consciousness. You know, we've now come to the point where we're shifting the focus. You know, we don't really you know the evolution and these Einsteinian models don't work anymore. Consciousness is much more fascinating, much more powerful than we used to think. And so we have the two minds, as I've been stating, right? We have, we have the two major parts of us, the body and the mind, but the mind itself has two parts, the conscious and subconscious, which plays an integral ro- role in how we interface into this program, how we're suppressed in the program, and how we can ascend the program. And there's been a new theory that has come out recently last year on the subconscious, which I call the deja vu theory. I don't know what the actual theory is. I don't know if they have one yet, but um, it was led by scientist Andrew Budson. And in this theory of, of the subconscious, Andrew Budson states that basically everything that we do, every action that we perform in our conscious life is actually um, dictated and thought of first by our subconscious mind. Um, like faster than the speed of light. So in other words, our conscious actions and life is kind of a puppet um, being wielded by our subconscious. So basically all of life is kind of like a deja vu moment that is being acted out from the subconscious. And he also goes to say in this quote on the screen, what I stated earlier, that the subconscious is where the program resides. And that's why it's difficult to change our lives because we're relying on our conscious self when we need to be going deeper into our subconscious self and reconnecting to our highest self in order to change our reality tunnels. And um, the subconscious mind used to play a much more, uh, you know, integral role. It used to play a much more, what's the word? Just, just much more uh, a crucial role in our day-to-day mm-hmm. life back in, you know, back in the, in our primal years. And this is seen in the fact that we have an internal dialogue or an inner dialogue 
And what's interesting is that only half of the population has an inner dialogue. Really? Yeah. No, I didn't know. Wow. Yeah, it's very weird, very strange. So apparently only half of us actually hear our voice in our head. So I, I have one. I have a, I have a voice in my head sometimes, mm. multiple, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, not everybody thinks in that way, which is strange. And the inner dialogue, the, the, uh, the study of the inner dialogue kind of started in the 1930s with Russian psychologist Lev Vikovsky. And he realized that we had the inner dialogue. Well, he knew we had the inner dialogue, but he realized that it, it probably played a much more important role, you know, back in our, um, in our, our development as humans, um, because he realized that, that children, um, they, they utilize their, inter- their inner dialogue much more than we do oh, externally. Yeah. You know, if you watch kids, you realize that they speak to themselves and, and they say what they're going to do. Like, I'm going to walk over here. I'm doing this or whatever. They speak their inner dialogue outward. And as we grow, it kind of kind of just suppresses and just grow, goes back inward. Um, so we have this inner dialogue, but only about half of us have it. So that tells us that, you know, it was probably a part of something bigger, you know, in our early development as humans. And another person who believed that was Julian Jaynes. And Julian Jaynes came up with the bicameral mind theory. And so the bicameral mind theory um, states that this inner dialogue, which is very faint in our human um, functions these days, used to be much more integral. He believed that this inner dialogue actually used to be very, very vocal and prominent, you know, thousands of years ago, and that we actually used to hear a full-on other voice in our heads speaking to us, and that our ancestors perceived this other voice to be either the voice of God, the gods, our dead relatives, or some spirit, and that it was common and normal for us to have these two voices in our head. And he believed that that's what the gods were or this other voice in our mind. And um, what's interesting is that most functions in our body, like sight and smell Mm -hmm. and taste, all have a counterpart in the other hemisphere. So we have two hemispheres and each function has a counterpart in each hemisphere. But interestingly, the function of language is only active in one hemisphere. We have another part in the opposing hemisphere, but it's deactivated. And we now know that schizophrenics, in schizophrenics brains, both of those components are activated. And that's why they hear the voices more prominently. And so that tells us that this inner dialogue, this voice of the subconscious used to be much more prominent and slowly faded out for some reason or was discontinued in the newer models of human beings. And so, uh, that can mean a lot of things. It can mean that maybe we used to commune directly with our creator, right. with God, with the other dimensions. And uh, Julian Jaynes believed, like the anthropologist and Terence McKenna, that our minds change when our language changed. He believed, as is stated in this quote on the screen, language is an organ of perception, not simply a means of communication. He believed that our, our language used to be much more rudimentary. And as it got more abstract, um, our reality changed and the need for that inner voice kind of faded away for whatever reason. But what's important here is that, again, we're told that language changes our consciousness. It changes our reality. And as our ancestors told us th- through the story of the ancient matrix, our creator 
manifested everything through language, through the spoken word, through the own vibration. So language is important. Narratives are important. What we tell ourselves and what we are indoctrinated is very important. And an example of that would be money. You know, money um, and it is a language per se. You know, money doesn't actually exist. We created yeah. money and the money system. It's just paper, but it's a language, a contextual reality, a reality tunnel that we use to toggle um, with each other and in central reality. And so we can come up with all kinds of different systems and ways to live. It's just all uh, is based off of what we tell ourselves and each other. And uh, with that, we have uh, an interesting story told to us through Kabbalah, through, uh, through mystical Judaism. And in a story known as uh, the Shavira, the breaking of vessels, we are told that the Ein Sof, the unknowable light, God, um, created a universe before this one. And in that universe, Ein Sof attempted to put a part of itself in all of its creations. But that, that light was too powerful and everything shattered and exploded. So that entire universe exploded. And so in the second universe, the one that we are currently in, Ein Sof had to commit what is known as Simsum, self-limitation. So it had to draw back some of its power and only put a little bit of it in everything so that we could live, so that we could be sustained without exploding. And so that would explain why God is seemingly nowhere, yet kind of everywhere all at once. And it's also kind of an allegory to me as to how our creator um, had to draw itself back and had to allow us to slowly develop and slowly upgrade to the point where eventually we'll be able to receive its, its full light, receive in full what it is and who we really are. You know, we're not ready for that. So we're slowly being prepared for that moment of singularity, if you will, when we'll finally be ready to accept what this all really is and who we really are. Awesome. And the Matrix directly drew from this when uh, Agent Smith said the first reality was, uh, you know, wonderful and everybody loved it and it blew up and didn't last. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Somebody was reading the Kabbalah, huh? Yep. <laughs> so, th so with that, we have... Um, the matrix energy grid work, or there you go, the word <laughs> matrix. <laughs> but um, so that was consciousness. We just went over consciousness and we'll get back to that and, 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 and how consciousness is powerful and our mind is powerful. But we also have the physical world around us, right? This actual reality we live in. And this physical world that we live in is uh, sustained and operates from the matrix energy grid work, as I call it in the book. And the matrix energy grid work is based, is comprised of the four forces, the four fundamental forces that we went over and the theoretical fifth force, the unified field, which um, as we're now starting to realize is consciousness, which is consciousness. And the matrix energy grid work, I believe our creator gave to us to eventually tap into so that we can become um, powerful and capable of some awesome things. And we're starting to see um, with all these UFO videos and UFO disclosure that it's possible because these UFOs that we've been witnessing um, for centuries or even mm -hmm. thousands of years, 
have seemingly found a way to tap into the matrix energy grid work. They've been able to tap into the etheric forces that exist around us and use them as energy fuel sources. And the, the matrix energy grid work expands all throughout the universe. It's a sea of information. It's a sea of energy and ether. And if we were able, if we were to be able to tap into that, it would be like uh, building a, a boat that runs off of water. So as it sails through the water, it is continuously energized by the water that it sails through. And um, the quote that I have on the screen here is a quote from one of the uh, Navy pilots who witnessed that tick, that famous Tic Tac video that was right. all over the news. And he, as he was saying, you know, whatever it was, was defying the laws of gravity. But we've known about this and we've been studying this secretly, you know, the governments, at least and the uh, military industrial complex. They've been studying this since at least the 50s. And um, the study of anti-gravity and the matrix energy grid work all goes back to, again, the 50s and, and starts with George S. Trimble. Um, George S. Trimble was the founder of RIAS, or RIAS, the Research Institute for Advanced Study. And in the 50s, he put together a team of some of the, the nation's uh, leading scientists to study anti-gravity. And this is still uh, reflected in a New York Herald Tribune article in 1956 that you can go find. And in that article, um, it stated again that, you know, Trimble was putting together the top scientists to study anti-gravity, this, this, and that. But the interesting thing is that Rias um, eventually merged into what is now the famous Lockheed Martin back in 1995. And Lockheed Martin is the one is the now infamous uh, institute or company that's behind a lot of like strange UFO um, reverse engineering projects and stuff like that. And Ben Rich, who was a former head of Lockheed Martin, is, is the guy who fam famously stated that we now have the technology to bring E.T. back home. <laughs> and uh, Harry yeah, Skunk Reed, Works. He was the yeah. head of Skunk Works. Absolutely. Skunk Works is, is a branch of Lockheed Martin. Right. Yeah. And uh, yep. uh, Harry Reid, uh, former senator and Democratic leader, also believed that uh, Lockheed Martin had a crashed UFO or alien craft in its possession and was adamant about that and would publicly state that on multiple occasions. And uh, Clarence Kelly Johnson, founder of Skunk Works, interviewed Ben Rich, who was famous for the ET comment on UFOs and asked them, you know, how do UFOs work? How are they working and how are they defying the laws of gravity? And Ben Rich replied that it's, they work in the same way that ESP does in, in the sense that all points in the universe are connected. So there's a unified field that connects everything in the universe. And that's how these UFOs are defying the laws of gravity. And so scientists, again, have been trying to find what this unified field is, what this fifth force is. And we're starting to realize that that unified field is consciousness itself. And this has been studied by uh, the military industrial complex, again, since the 50s at least. And in a paper by NASA from the 70s titled Field Resonance Propulsion Concept, which you can go find, um, they speak about this, saying that, you know, we could technically tap into the unified field, the four forces. And if we could, we could achieve space-time travel, you know, uh, from here to the other side of the universe. 
And in a paper more recently in 2011 by the Defense Intelligence Agency titled Quantum Tomography of Negative Energy States in the Vacuum, we are told the same thing. You know, these scientists who put the, put the paper together were explaining that, you know, if we could tap into these matrix energy grid works, we could have a fuel source, a, 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 a you know, a self-renewing fuel source that could allow for great power, you know. Of course, all these guys want it for weapons and defenses oh, yeah. and stuff like that. But I think our creator intended for us to find these grid works and to, to be able to tap into them eventually with our consciousness, which Reality is the truth. Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Nikola Tesla thought this as well, and, and he, he knew this. And uh, he, he, he thought of us as, as a, a spiritual machine as well. And the quote that I have on the screen, he, he called us the little engine of inconceivable delicacy and complexity of construction, like unlike any on Earth, which is hitched to the wheelwork of the universe. So to Tesla, we were little engines. We were spiritual machines. Mm -hmm. And he believed that it was in our destiny to tame nature, to tame the forces of nature and utilize them to, you know, our, our wildest desires and dreams. And he believed that there was an underlying force that connected everything. And he called that the luminiferous ether. And he likened that to the Hindu Akasha, where the Akashic records come from. And uh, he believed that at the underlying, uh, the underlying force of, of everything um, was that internet and that we could tap into it. And uh, in, a, in a speech that he gave in 1938, about five years before he died, he claimed to have come up with two discoveries, two fascinating discoveries. And he didn't tell us exactly what they were because he was still working on them, but he hinted at what they were. And in those two discoveries, he says that one of them had to do with gravity. And he claimed that his discovery having to do with gravity would shatter all the known theories of gravity. Mm. And the other theory that he had discovered, or the other, the fact that he had discovered had to do with all of the matter uh, um, of the physical world have, going down to the smallest structure, to the biggest structure. And he was very excited about this. But again, he passed away about five years later. So we never got to find out exactly what he meant. But we can deduce from what he already told us that what he discovered was probably that gravity or the unified field um, was consciousness. You know, as he was as he already stated, he knew that there was a luminiferous ether all around us and that it was our destiny to tap into it. So we can probably assume that he realized what we're realizing now, that there is a unified field and that that unified field is consciousness. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamond. Jake is a researcher of the highest caliber. Love all of his work and his views on the Archons and how to expand your consciousness in the second part will be a true white pill. Please support this Red Pill Cafeteria for the second part, or if you find any value in the content. There are many ways to sub and many ways to support, and one that will fit your needs or budget. If you need any help with any of the choices, just let me know. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. <laughs>